What would you do if you were not afraid? That's my question for today. What would you do if you were not afraid? Now hold on to that question because I think that it is a central question that is asked in the scripture that we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 18, uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Uh, if you have an app, you can open that. You can open the church app. These days, you have to say lots of things, way how you can read the Bible, right? So, all right, uh, if you all stand with me to honor God and his word, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus says. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will receive, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, you can be seated. So Jesus is challenging a worldview. Here is a man, we're told a few things about this person. Uh, he's rich. In another context, he's young and he's a ruler. We don't know if he is a ruler in the Roman army or in the Jewish synagogue. It kind of doesn't matter. But he is powerful. He, he has, he has the, the means to do what he wants to do. He's also a religious person, we're told. And Jesus kind of comes after his, his heart about the thing that he's most vulnerable about, and it's his possessions. So this, this rich young ruler has a small sort of scarcity worldview, and Jesus wants him to have and wants us to have an abundant worldview. So uh, he says at least three things to, to the, the rich young ruler about how to get that abundant worldview. Number one is this, that grace is greater than law. Grace is greater than law. Look, this guy is a rule keeper. This guy has kept the law. Can I put it in these terms? Um, he's gone to church his entire life. He's done the things he's supposed to do as a religious person. He's, he's more like somebody like a lot of us who are religious people than unlike us. 
Now, we might look at him as thinking, oh, well, he's too religious or too pious or whatever. But I don't think so. He's just, he's trying to live the best he can by the law he knows. So if grace is better than law, what is law? What is Jesus getting at? Well, let's go back for a little bit. In Leviticus chapter 19, so the book of Leviticus is all the Old Testament law. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So this is how you are to be holy. And there are some laws in the Old Testament that are prohibitive laws. Don't do this. And a lot of us who grew up in religious contexts, we know these, these things. Don't murder, you know, uh, don't lie, don't cheat, these kinds of things. And Jesus lists those to the rich young ruler. So here's, here's another thing that it says, like in the Old Testament, for example. Do not, verse four, uh, 19, four of Leviticus, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. That's the first commandment. Don't do that. The worst thing that we can do as people who want to follow God is to have a competing idol. And I dare say that many of us do that often. As a matter of fact, all of us do that often. So there are prohibitive things in the law. Don't do this. It's not good for you. But then there are other things in the law that are more proactive or positive. Here, 19 verse 5. When you, when you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It says, when you sacrifice a fellowship offering. It doesn't say if you sacrifice a fellowship offering. Part of the law was actually being constructive and doing things toward God. Uh, Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest, again, when you do your work, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Interestingly enough, in the midst of the law, which was very restrictive, which was very much, here's how you live inside the box, God seems to be uh, careful to say, you know, even in the midst of the law, there is this thing called mercy and grace. And you see it in these two verses where he says, look, if this was an agricultural context, look, when you, when you harvest, leave food for people who are poorer and people who are foreigners who are walking through your land. <clears throat> the law says this, Leviticus chapter 27. The law said, give a tithe of everything that God's provided to you back to him. That's what the law said. And lots of times in churches, you'll hear this whole conversation about tithing. Grace says... We give out of the overflow of a grateful heart. Do you know that in the New Testament, the only time that tithing is talked about is in the book of Matthew, and it is where Jesus is talking to religious people, religious zealots, and he says to them, you hypocrites, you give your tithe and you treat people like dirt. That's the context that Jesus talks about tithing in the New Testament. It's the only context. Why doesn't he talk about it by, by, by the standard of the law about giving a tenth? Because he assumes that grace 
is going to cost us to give far, far, far more than that. Look, there, there have been so many times that religious institutions try to get people to give based on law. Well, it's the law. You got to tithe. Oh, well, we don't really believe in the law, except with this one little thing about tithing. Well, you know what? <clears throat> Jesus said he didn't come to abolish that, to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. What's the fulfillment of that? What's the fulfillment of the tithe? Well, here it is, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> Paul's talking to the uh, Corinthians. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel, excel, in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. And here's sort of the life principle that Jesus is trying to get at with this young ruler. Transformed lives, his transformed life will transform other lives. Transformed lives, transformed lives. For, for all of us, your transformation, what God is doing in your life if you allow it, will transform other people's lives. I mean, think about that for a moment. The privilege that is for us. That, that God transforming your heart and my heart will have results in other people in the world. That's number one. Grace is greater than law. Two, faith is greater than fear. Faith is greater than fear. Look, the rich young ruler, he had his nest egg, right? He had what he needed. He was self-sufficient. So can we talk about our 401ks and 403bs and social security checks and all those things and how much money we have in the bank? And let me ask you this question. Is that your nest egg? Is that your security? Is that what you, brings you comfort about moving into the future? Well, it did, it did for this rich young ruler. And Jesus went right after him and said, well, you know what, you have to sell everything. And by the way, everybody, please don't go away thinking, oh, well, Brian just said I gotta sell everything. That's not, that's not what the passage is primarily about. And, and so he says to, to the rich young ruler, what is going to be your sufficiency? What is going to be enough for you? Or who is going to be enough for you? And if you are fearful, then where is faith in that? Now, let me say this. It is not an either or. It is not that either you have faith and you have no fear or you are consumed by fear and have no faith. That's not how God works in our lives. All of us here, I would guess, and online, would have faith but we also have fears, and, and we wrestle with those, and we ask God. Part of the journey to transformation for us is asking God to transform our hearts so that faith is greater than fear. And friends, that is a lifelong wrestling. It is a lifelong prayer that I have, that I hope you have. God, give me more faith and may that push out more fear. Uh, some of you may know the film Goodwill Hunting. It came out some years ago. 
story of a young guy played by Matt Damon, who is a prodigy. He's brilliant. He knows tremendous amounts, and he kind of relies on that. He's a math whiz. He knows physics, all this kind of stuff. He's read every book in the world. But, but the guy has very little life experience. And he's struggling through stuff, and he gets connected to Robin Williams, who is a counselor, therapist. And they have a conversation on this park bench here that you'll see, where Robin Williams has this monologue, this discussion with Matt Damon about Matt Damon's fears. Listen to a couple things that Robin Williams says to him. <clears throat> if I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. I ask you about war, and you'd probably throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near a war. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love. You'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Someone who can level you with her eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. You don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared kid. I don't know about you, but Robin Williams could have been my therapist too. Because I can have an air of confidence and faith even, but man, I, I've got fears. What if we do run out of money? What if my kids don't talk to me when I'm older? What if all these things happen? Most of our fears, as you know, are fears of what might happen and never do happen. We, we fear all sorts of things that never come to that eventuality. And so it's just kind of this waste of our breath. Today, today, just today, just for today, can we ask God to give us more faith than fear? Just for today, would you ask God for a little bit more faith and to take away that fear, whatever that is for you? may have nothing to do with finances, may have to do with something else, may have to do with a relationship or something else about the future. And remember these words that Isaiah spoke to the Israelites. The Israelites are, they are been banished, they are in captivity. Remember this, the, the Israelites are in a bad situation when they hear these words from Isaiah. God says to them, do not fear. It's a command. Do not fear, because I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. Now, he says that because he knows that the Israelites are going to be afraid. 
He wouldn't say this command if they weren't afraid. And so perhaps today you need to put it like on your refrigerator. It's Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 11. All right, let me come back to the question. What would you do if you were not afraid? I got the quote from, I got this question from David Brooks in his new book, How to Know a Person. And he says, if you really want to know a person well, ask this question and wait for an answer. This week I went around to the staff asking several of them this very question. What would you do if you were not afraid? You had some who said, I would go skydiving. By the way, skydiving is really popular around here. A bunch of people said skydiving. I was like, all right, whatever. Other people answered with this. This is how they answered. They went like this. They went, oh. It, just total nonverbal of, oh, you just gave me a headache. <laughs> so one person I asked this to, and she had that response as well. Oh, wow, what a question. And two days later, she wrote back to me. And I, I so appreciate this because... She took the time to seriously think and process and pray and reflect. And then she said, you know, if I were not afraid, I, I would go back to school. And then, and then you hear, the, the, then she said, but I don't know if I could do it. <clears throat> See, that's fear. I, I don't know if I could cut it. I don't know if I could keep up. I haven't been in school for a long time. And I, I, I so appreciated just the, the reflection and the honesty, and, and almost at that point, it, it becomes a prayer to God. You know, we, we give over our fears to him and say, God, this, this is my fear, and God, would you make something of it of faith? Think again about this rich ruler. Jesus comes right after him. If you, if you study how Jesus relates to people, it's just utterly fascinating. He is much more critical of religious people, of law keepers, than irreligious people. And with religious people like this guy, he sets the bar really high. I mean, you realize what he says to him, right? Sell everything. Not almost everything. Not like, hey, keep 50% of your goods. No, sell everything. Interestingly enough, the very next chapter, Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus is, uh, meets, Jesus meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell him to sell anything. He just says, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your house tonight. And then Zacchaeus, in response to Jesus, he sells, he says, I'm going to sell half of everything I have. And if I owe people more, I'll, I'll give more. And, and Jesus says, today faith has come to this house. He, Jesus doesn't prescribe him to give anything away. And just the, the, the chapter before, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell everything. Sell everything. Why the difference? Well, because Jesus is addressing his greatest fear. And his greatest fear at that point is losing all of that stuff. But until and unless he loses all that stuff, God cannot be God. God cannot be on his throne in his life. 
So let me ask us rich Westerners for a moment. How like the rich ruler are we? Maybe for some of us, the question of what would you do if you were not afraid is I would give a whole bunch more. I would not be so hung up on the things that give me false security. I want to be free from that. That's scary. And only God can fill that space that's vacated from fear with faith. Okay, this is number two. Faith is greater than fear. And then last, um, abundance is greater than scarcity. Somehow, um, we have this idea, we people of faith, we tend to have this idea that there is sort of this cosmic pie in the sky that's God's resources, and it's about yay big, or it's yay big, or whatever it is. But it's limited. Somehow, we live that there are limited resources at God's disposal, which is really insane because we also believe that he is going to provide us with eternal life. What is more difficult, the idea of God providing eternal life for people or that he has enough resources to get things done? That is not a trick question. I mean, it, it is crazy how we think about this, but so many of us have this scarcity mentality. We have been brought up with it. Look, I was born and raised in it. You know, when we went and bought shoes, we bought the cheapest shoes possible because, you know, we just didn't have enough and couldn't provide and all this kind of thing. We had this, it was ingrained in me. It has taken me years and years and years even to begin to think that maybe God's pie is not limited. Maybe, just maybe, God has infinite resources. Maybe, just maybe, that abundance that we see in creation, that we see all around us, is God's way, is God's manner. L listen to the end of this passage. So Jesus says, Jesus says all this to the rich young ruler. And then at the end of the passage, he is actually talking to the crowd and especially to his disciples. How do we know that? Well, because Peter responds to him and says, look, Jesus, we've left everything for you. And here's Jesus's response to the, at least to, to the disciples, if not to the entire crowd. And surely the rich young ruler would have heard this and would have registered this. Listen to what he says. Truly I, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Everybody hear what he said? That if you've sacrificed everything, uh, home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, you'll receive many, many times over. Let me put it to rest right now. I am not preaching the prosperity gospel right now, all right? 
This is not a statement by Jesus saying, if you give all your money away, he's going to bless you with three times that. It's not that simplistic. And by the way, if you hear anybody teach like that, run for the doors. Okay? This is, this is bad theology. So what, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about if our posture, if our attitude toward God is to say, God, all of the resources, all of this stuff that seems to have my name on it, whether it's a deed for a mortgage or a bank account or whatever, it's yours. Like, really, it's yours, God. I don't deserve it. I, you have graced me with it. You have blessed me with it. It is all, all yours. If that's our starting point, and we lay that before God and say, God, do with it whatever you want, God has promised he has promised you and me that he would bring blessing into our lives. Might that be material blessing? It might be, but it might not be. It might be some other blessing. It might be relational blessing. But especially, it will be blessing that you have been part of his kingdom work on earth and beyond. That's why we give to a Christmas offering or why we give to other things. We, we all know that in the next month, we're going to get a gazillion requests for finances, right? Email, letters in the mail, all this kind of stuff. Of, of course we are. And there's really, really great ministries and, and opportunities to give. Here's what I would encourage us, and here's what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples here. Give in a way that is kingdom-focused and that is sacrificial. That is sacrificial. Jesus is asking the rich young ruler to sacrifice, isn't he? He's asking him to face his fears and to have more faith than fear in that moment and to have an abundance mentality. He's asking him to give sacrificially. So what's Jesus saying here? Look, if you've left home or wife or brother, sisters, children, does that mean you know, Jesus is advocating for divorce here? No, of course not. But what he's saying is that if you're willing, if you are, if you have the attitude that you are willing to sacrifice even those things, even those things for the sake of the kingdom of God, God's hand will be on you. God's hand of blessing will be on you. That is his promise. Now, look, th this is not Christianity 101 right now. Th this isn't. This is... This is the hard lessons of Jesus right now. This rich young ruler, he, has, he is in the crucible now. He is being squeezed. He's being challenged. He's being challenged to surrender. He's being challenged to hand over to God the very thing that makes him most secure. And that happens to be money and wealth and goods for him. What is it for you? What is it for you today that you would answer, what would I do if I did not fear? What would I give up? What would I hand back to God? What is it that, that, that has provided security for you that while it may be a good thing, it is not God? Is it, is it marriage? Is it home? Is it money in the bank account? Is it whatever it is, today, today, just for today, would you give that back to God and say, God, have your way with me in that area that's most sensitive, that I have the hardest time surrendering? 
Tim's going to lead us in a, a song that I find really, really difficult to sing. I want to pray before we, we sing it, and uh, they'll come and sing it as a prayer. Uh, Father, we pause now and, uh, Lord, receive our uh, worship. Lord, our prayer right now is that we would be a people for whom the kingdom, the kingdom of God is primary, is central. And that all the other things that may be trappings are secondary. So Lord, we sing these words as a prayer, as a cry, maybe even as a question. Receive our worship now, in Christ's name.